Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, what's up everybody? This is the Full Scale Outdoors Podcast. I'm Dale Luganbill. Thanks. Thank you for joining me. Appreciate you. Before we get into the, today's episode, I'm going to remind you about thebeardstruggle.com. Awesome, awesome beard care products. You guys, check it out. They smell manly. They got manly Viking logo on it. It's awesome. No, I really do like the stuff. So check it out, thebeardstruggle.com. Use code FULLSCALE15 at checkout. Save yourself 15% off. Yeah. Uh, subscribe to the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. You will get even more great outdoor podcast content and the waypoint tv app will give you those podcasts and so much more with great hunting and fishing shows documentaries movies you have it's like awesome get it on your phone waypoint tv app Alrighty then here we go on today's episode we're doing another deer hunting one this week. It's just these things just kind of come in waves. I don't plan them like this. It's just how schedules work out. But we got another deer hunting episode, and we dive deep. We dive deep in with the hunting beast himself, Mr. Dan Invault. If you are not familiar with him, check him out. Go on YouTube, the hunting beast. He's got awesome public land hunting strategies and, uh, Man, this dude is just like got so much deer hunting knowledge in his head. It's it's just silly. Um, but this was a great conversation. Broke down a lot of that stuff that appeals to me. I love that like public land swamp buck kind of. I don't. Know, there's something very 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 cool about that. And hopefully, I get time to do that this year. We we shall see. Um, but you're gonna you're gonna dig this episode. If you're a deer hunter, this one's for you. Dive in. Grab a notebook, take some notes <laughs> for sure. He also hints at a new product he's got coming out, some new ultralight uh, uh, portable tree stand. So I'm going to be keeping an eye out for that. Um, you can go to his uh, website, thehuntingbeast.com. He'll release it there. I'm sure he'll say it on Facebook too. Um, but there's like DVDs and stuff you can order on his website. And I'm sure there's a, a a wealth of other links and stuff to be had there. So that's the huntingbeast.com. Well, there he is. Let's get into it. Yeah, you're going to love this one. This is Dan Infault, the hunting beast, right here on the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. <laughs> that sound this is a good one 
also the hunting beast. <laughs> Is that your own name, or give me a little bit of a history on uh, on how you got that channel started? Uh, I started out as uh, Blood Brothers Outdoors, and uh, had a falling out with the people I was working with, um, and then went off on my own and created uh, Hunting Beast, and uh, haven't looked back. Well, it's doing very well. I think it's something like uh, 35,000 uh, subscribers on YouTube. So, you know, not doing too bad. <laughs> <laughs> there are a ton of fun videos to watch. You know, I I bow hunt. I'm not like, uh, I'm not super huge rabbit about it. I mean, I fish and I waterfall hunt. So I got a lot of, a lot of irons in the fire. I'm kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to outdoors stuff. Um, so I never really poured myself into one thing. And uh, a friend of mine, Jason Cushlin, uh, he kind of turned me on to you and your style of public land hunting. That kind of little bit of a fire on that that lit a fire under me a little bit. Like I was like, okay, now this now this is exciting. So like the way you go about <laughs> it. Um, and so I, I guess just kind of break it down, like you know how you go about. Like your style, like like what kind of separates like what you do versus, you know, your run of the mill everyday average, you know, weekend warrior bow hunter, and how that you know they can I, I think a, get a these bucks. Thing about me is uh, uh, I'm a little older than most of the guys that are probably listening. Most of the guys that are listening came into hunting with a, a preset mind. Um, I came into hunting. Um, as a young kid in the seventies and eighties and in that time frame, I, you know, there weren't a lot of magazines that taught you a lot. Um, and old people, their idea was, you know, you know, uh, sit on a bucket till something comes by, you know, and the longer you sit there, the more luckier you're going to be. And me, I mean, I didn't have mentors. Um, my father didn't hunt with me. Um, my brothers moved out. They all went to Vietnam before, uh, I started hunting but I had a passion for hunting and I just went out and learned on my own. And I think not having those, um, preset ideas in my head that I had to do certain things a certain way. It just became obvious to me that, uh, you know, the, the, you needed to be as close to bedding as you could be in order to see deer in daylight. So, you know, um, if they're coming out of a thicket and you can see them come out in the evening, how far do they get in daylight? Well, if you're sitting over, at a food, at a cornfield, they're never going to get to you. You know, you could see those things. Um, and it was obvious to somebody who doesn't have those preset, um, ideas. So, uh, you know, I started out, uh, like most people just kind of, um, wanted to kill deer when I was real little. Then you kill a deer and you want to, you know, kill a buck. Then you kill a buck and you want to kill one with your bow. And then you kill one with the bow, and you want a bigger one, and then you want to be able to kill multiple big ones. <laughs> right. You just keep keep setting your goals higher, and and uh, over time you find out that uh, there's never a big enough deer. I mean, if you shot the world record, you'd still be you still wouldn't be satisfied. You'd still be looking for the yeah, next I, world yeah, record. Yeah, I doubt you'd hang the bow up. I mean, that would just be. I mean, I can't even imagine that would be. What an empty fall. <laughs> I mean, I do do other things, but it would just, like, I do still enjoy bow hunting. The the few times I 
I'm able to get out. But you're right. Those people, you know, having those predisposed notions that, you know, my granddaddy said this and those, you know, old wives tales and stuff like that, they can definitely hinder, um, whether it's fishing or hunting or whatever it is. Uh, you know, I've talked about it a number of times on this podcast about, you know, this is kind of a side subject, but I'd caught a, a sheephead, a freshwater drum, um, couple weeks back i'm like you know what? i'm gonna try to eat this thing i've never tried one i don't know anybody that ever has i've always just heard all oh, their garbage hell the long story short it was pretty good <laughs> like i mean and it was, it's just that thing like i just thought they were gross because my dad said they were gross and his dad said there's gross but yet i don't know anybody that's ever actually ate one so it's that kind of same thing you know all those same adages as it comes down to hunting can definitely work against you and you know, being successful, you know, to the point like people go to the same stand, you know, same box stand year in and year out, same stand, you know, they just keep redoing it as it, as it breaks down. Cause that's the stand my granddaddy shot. Oh, I'm going to go up on the hill or I'm going to the Oak Grove or, you know, they always have fun names to it. And there's something to be said for that as far as tradition goes, but somebody that's seriously and want serious and wants to go out and get a really good deer you're going to have to break away from that. Otherwise it is just luck. You're just rolling the dice and, you know. Right. And, and, uh, kind of like what you led into earlier, people hunt for different reasons. I mean, um, some people hunting is only a little portion of what they do. They, they bass fish, they hunt, they trap, they duck hunt, they canoe, you, you know, I hunt deer. That's what I do, you know? So I can put a lot more into it, you know? Um, and if a guy, you know, if he's not after a big buck and, and he likes those traditions of hunting the stands over and over again and still gets a deer, I mean, more power to him. I'm just up in the odds for the guys that really want to take it to the next level and really want to chase the biggest deer they can get because okay. uh, that's what drives me. So that's what, I, you know, those are the type of people that I'm usually working with. But in the same mindset, I mean, if a guy just wants to do better and he's not doing good enough, some of the things I do, might blend with some of the things you do and, and make you better where you don't have to follow the same regime you do. Right. And and the kind of way that you go about it, and obviously we'll get into that, but what was appealing to me is because I'm not this hardcore, you know, super obsessive bow hunter. I do really enjoy it. I don't, I don't gun hunt like that. I have no interest in that. I have nothing against it. You know, like you say, if that's your thing, that's your thing. I, knock yourself out. But for me, I love the challenge of, of bow hunting and I can see myself getting into it more. Like my brain goes to it more than when I drive around. I look at land different. I look at maps different, uh, you know, since I started kind of going down this road of, of kind of the way you do it. But the, it's exciting because that, that challenge it's, it's hard. And the extra added challenge of, and having the bragging rights of doing it on public land like that to me, like once you kind of threw all that in the mix, uh, that's when you really kind of piqued my interest. I'm like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> and then starting to see these good bucks that you're taking off of public land. You're just like, okay, all right. You know, so let's, let's kind of get into it a little bit of, what we're talking about sure we're talking what um going into swamp bucks i guess you could call it would be uh well i have different types of terrains i think i'm known a lot for my swamp hunting and uh marsh hunting because i live in 
Martian swamp territory. Sure. But I do a lot of hunting in the hills too. Uh, do a lot of hunting in farmland. Um, and I've killed a lot of deer in those situations too. But uh, most people recognize me as a swamp hunter because I, I live in an area where if you're not hunting swamps, you're not killing big deer. And that's because I'm in a very populated area that gets a lot of pressure. And when you're in areas like that, you're only finding those mature bucks in areas that are like dense swamp. Uh, you got to cross water to get them. They like to bed isolated from land on, on, uh, on dirt that's isolated around with water, you know, um, in this region, you know, now you get up into the hills and into the big woods and stuff, which I hunt. It's a little different. But, but uh, you know, and that makes a well-rounded hunter. If you can hunt different terrains, and this was one thing that's been good for me in Wisconsin, is I grew up in Wisconsin, and Wisconsin is really diverse. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but the southeastern corner where I'm at um, has real heavy pressure um, and a lot of swamps, but a lot of, a lot of public land, too. Um, but you get out to western southern Wisconsin, and they've got a lot of really big bucks, and a lot of public land that's hilly, you know, wooded, steep hills. Yep. And uh, then you don't have the pressure. And and that's a real fun hunt over there, um, especially for a traveling guy. But uh, then you get up to the Northwoods and you got, you know, flat, endless, you know, just hardwoods and stuff like that. So, I mean, we're real diverse and I've hunted all over the state. Um, and that, that teaches a guy how to hunt. I mean, because you if you just... You know, you keep yourself in one little uh, box of, you know, I got a good farm. I'm just sitting there and hunting there. You get, uh, you don't grow. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. What's well, it's, it's not that different. It's very analogous to fishing. I mean, I like to fish a different, I don't like going to the same lake over and over again. And thankfully here in Minnesota, I have lots of options. And I like that again the challenge aspect of it. For some reason, I like things to be hard. I don't I don't know why, but <laughs> I go and you know I'm like, hey, I've never fished this lake. Let's go check this one out, and then I just try to figure it out. But just like you said with hunting, I think it's that not, makes it's you, not about it makes being you better. Hard. It's it's about uh, it's it's about the um, you like to earn some of the stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, if it's just handed to you, you don't appreciate it. I feel the, like um, actually it, learning it, you know, the, the satisfaction of learning the craft of hunting or fishing or whatever, whatever the hobby may be, the strong, you know, the harder you, you make you, it, the more you're going to learn. You know, for me, because of who I am, I get in fights all the time to outfitters and stuff like that, and I just turn them down. Mm-hmm. But where I could just go and they, they want me to shoot a big buck because it makes your outfit in place. Sure. Or just whatever. some name recognition. Absolutely. And I just, I just don't do it because to me, it's not, that's not who I am. You know, um, right. there's something about, I would rather find a 140 inch buck on public, see it, spot it, figure it out, map it out, figure out where I think he's betting, figure out what day I think he's betting there and on what wind he's betting there, slip in, get into a tree and have that deer come out and I kill him right, in, right outside of his bedding area, to me there's a satisfaction there. I'd rather do that than shoot a 200-inch you know, buck on outfitter put me in the tree on. Yeah, but that, that's not everybody. I mean, some people would awesome. rather just have the big buck on the wall and, sure. and, and blah, blah, blah. But to me, there's something about the hunting with a purpose. Right. You know, you look at uh, um, my top 10 bucks. Nine of them I was hunting that deer when I shot it. 
you know, who can say that? Right. Most people were hunting a stand and a right. buck walked by. Yeah, that's super cool. You know, there, there's something about the pride in that. And, and it's not something that other people are proud of. Yeah, I mean, most people give a, you know, a squirrel's ass uh, how you shot your deer. <laughs> right. You, you know, but to you personally, there's something inside of you that makes you appreciate that, you know. Well, I give you my top ten bucks ever killed, and it's gonna. I'll need nine more. I'll need nine more bucks to finish that that list. <laughs> I shot. I shot my first antlered buck last year, actually. Uh, but I pat. You know, again, I don't. I don't hunt like super hard. Um, first and foremost, I like to put venison in my freezer. You know, I'm not a. I'm not a. If it's brown, it's down. Kind of a, a hunter per se. But I. You know, I'm in an area with lots of bonus tags so shoot a doe mm-hmm. fill in the freezer so if i'm gonna stand and mm-hmm. a little you know basket you know a little fork or six or basket eight walks by i'm not gonna shoot that deer like there's i don't i already have meat there's no reason so i've passed up a lot of antlers before i just never really had uh you know that many opportunities for a good one one that i actually wanted to loose an arrow at and so last year i finally got one it's nothing braggable by any stretch but it was a nice you know minnesota eight point and that's all i really wanted mm-hmm. was something that's just a you know a good representation of the of the species you know and so like you said earlier like well hopefully this year i can get a bigger one and if i could do it even though i have you know i have land seven only seven acres but the deer use it especially it gets really good pre-rut and rut they just i got a ridge to the west that they just run like crazy mm-hmm. so that's good and but i kind of want to break away from that and start getting into this and you, you say you get you hunt a lot of different stuff and i know you kind of get pigeonholed in that swamp uh buck thing and at least for now i want to focus on that because that's what it, that kind of what's exciting me i have i have a ton of public land surrounding me Mm-hmm. Um, I'm real close to a really big wildlife management area here just north of the Twin Cities, and it gets a shit ton of pressure. But there's a couple other smaller little ones up here too. And we kind of, my buddy Jason and I started, you know, he kind of got me into this, and I started watching some of your videos on how you broke it down, you know, how you find, like, where to go. And, uh, you know, we set up in there. We didn't end up shooting that night. We did see a, a nice nine-pointer, and I saw a doe. Uh, but the nine pointer got mm-hmm. busted out by some squirrel hunters. That's what kind of did you uh, that hunt? But did you happen to watch the um, the hunting public challenge? The first one, uh, I've shitty memory. It's very possible. It was done in Minnesota. Um, I think, I, it, I think that we think me and Joe have. won that challenge. Joe shot the, the 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 big buck, but we got onto him. We were hunting right in that area. Right where you're at. Okay. Yeah, I think. I yeah. Think the first time we'd ever been there. Yeah, I think a. I think we're talking about the same one. Yeah, I probably did see that one. Because it it's a really you large Michigan area. one earlier. Because there's there's two of them. We did one in Minnesota. Then we did Michigan. Right on. Um, the Minnesota one is right in kind of the area you're talking. So as far as like if somebody wants to plan this out, like this time, what's this time of year, someone's getting excited about um, about this style of hunting. What would be the steps that you'd have them do? Start pouring over satellite. It's a little harder at this time of the year because right. most of what I do is is I do a lot of scouting in the winter time. Right from when I'm done hunting until green up, and I really learn those bedding areas. 
especially right when the snow melts and you can still see the beds real fresh from back in uh, November and October. Sure. You can even tell September bedding. Um, so I like to do that, first of all. But in a lot of cases, I'm not onto that. I'm out finding a deer and it's someplace where I don't know where I'm going, which is more leaning into what you're talking about. Um, so I'll, this time of year right now, I'm spending a lot of time out glassing, uh, shining. I don't know if that's legal where you're at. It is here. Um, but um, I don't, honestly, I don't know if it is or not. I know you can't do it with a gun, but I don't know if you can do it off season or not. I'd have to look into that. Yeah. We can't have any firearm. You can't even have concealed carry on you in, in Wisconsin. Um, but, uh, I want to locate deer. So I'll drop some cameras out there. I'll do some walking, um, which is hard with the heat we've had lately. Oh. But I try to get up real early and go for a walk in the morning um, before it gets too hot. Uh, but I go out and I try to locate big bucks. And uh, a lot of the big bucks that I've shot, I've located during summer scouting. And then once I locate a buck, then I narrow my focus. So like right now, I might have a wide sweep where I'm checking a lot of hunting properties, going to places where I, you know, maybe I found a shed so I know where there's one there, around there. You know, um, maybe I've got a, a, a tip on one, some concentrating on an area. Um, but otherwise, I'm kind of, I've kind of got a wide net. But then by the time it gets into towards the end of July, I'm going to start narrowing it that down to the top bucks I'm after, what areas they're in. And I'm really going to start focusing on the, the, the areas right around where I've been seeing them and watching fields, dropping cameras in there, trying to get pictures of them, not at their bedding, but at food areas. Because if you know where they're feeding, you know the areas they're in, but you're not really bothering them that much. And then you can kind of and figure out where they're bedding that, from there once you find a target. Yeah, I can, I can kind of just study a map and um, look at transitions, find little points, find lines, zoom in on uh, – uh, open areas of the swamp, look at the trails in the cattails and the, in the heavy grass. Um, and you kind of narrow the bedding down. And once you get good at where they bed, um, it gets, it gets a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, at first, I think the guy's pretty confused, but, uh, basically they bed along transition lines, which I mean, I think most people think that you're going to be out in the middle of a swamp in the middle of thick. And that ain't necessarily true. They're going to be uh, maybe on an island out in the middle of that swamp. Right. But they're going to be on an edge. They're going to be on an uh, edge somewhere and uh, coming out. So basically uh, little uh, changes in that uh, transition, like a point coming off of it, of hard ground going out to the swamp, the bed right on the tips of it. They look for advantages. And what, what I mean by advantages is, is places where they can sit and they can smell, see, or hear you coming if you're going to get close to them. So on a point, they can monitor that, that dry land coming at them, and they're going to hear you coming through the water. So you really can't get at them. And um, coyotes, wolves, humans, through history, have always come from dry land at them. So they monitor that dry land watching for you. So a setup just off of those points is good. So what I'll do, too, is, is I won't scout at this time of the year. I won't go out there and set up my stands, which is a big mistake most people do. Um, you'll kill deer doing that. Don't get me wrong. But you're not going to kill the five, six, seven-year-old deer on public land doing that. They're too smart for that. 
once they smell you've walked through there, they're done. You get one one chance at a lot of these bucks. So these so bucks what I'll do is would just season, change. You go in there right now, and even if you bumped on right now, and you're a full two months away from the season, or or more, depending on where yeah, you well, live. Yeah, like, well, there's a good chance you wouldn't be bedding where he's bedding now. Sure. Their beds, their beds shift around a lot, but there should be certain areas where they bed. He might be where he's bedding now, but there's a good chance he might be bedding closer to acorns or something that comes into season at that time, right? Sure, that makes sense. So basically, by knowing how they bed on those points and stuff, what I'll do during the season is I'll look, okay, acorns are in season. There's Here's a um, hardwood island of acorns that's got a point coming off one end. I'm going to give that a shot first. Okay, get in there. And I don't see nothing. There ain't much sign, nothing, but I don't know anyways. Buck doesn't show up. Next hunt, I'm following a transition where a swamp comes along a little oak ridge from coming up because I know they're going to be hitting acorns at that time of the year. Probably going to be bedding off the points off the acorns. And I'm just going to systematically remove all the spots I think they'd be bedding on an edge. And I'm going to hunt that area down. And you're doing this scouting with uh, with uh, optics, or are you going in boots on the ground? Stand on my back, boots on the ground. So I'm going in the day I'm going to hunt. Okay. So you, you've found these spots and, on earlier in the, or, well, you will do it in the wintertime. If I've been on the property, I know where the spots are. If okay. I haven't been on the property, I'm mapping them out. Got it. Now, one thing I'll say, and then, like, and then walking in. those trails you talk about in the swamps. Now, before I kind of really got into this style of hunting, you know, as a waterfall hunter, I would I would do the same thing. I would get on satellite maps and look for potential good duck hunting spots, and I would see all these trails, and I never really realized what they were. I thought maybe they were like almost like little stream tributaries is kind of how they look. You know, you see these little lines yep. through the cattail swamps, and uh, those are actually game trails or deer trails. Right. And so once I kind of knew that, like that changed completely how I view those satellite images. Like, so when you look at, like, cattail marshes, you can zoom in and you can see where a clump of bushes is bedding out there mm-hmm. because of all the trails spidering out of it. Right. Yeah, it's it's actually it's, it's pretty wicked. I've, I've gotten lost in it. You know, that area that we um, that we were talking about, this big WMA, I was like, I just got lost. Next thing you know, I'm, like, miles away from where I was looking earlier, just following these trails, <laughs> you know, because you're, like, one just yeah. leads and links to the next one and links to the next one, you know, trying to find some sort of, like, bottleneck area. That would be, a, like, a higher percentage I got a, I got a marsh about uh, about a half an hour, 45 minutes from my house that I got to go out about a mile to get to this little tiny clump of trees out there. And everything is underwater to your hips, but just a couple little like floating spots that are high enough and dry enough that a deer could land. It's just a network of trails. You wouldn't believe the sign out there. Huh. And um, I had a trail camera out there last year. I've been hunting some deer out there for three years. There's one deer I've been after for three years solid. He was a 12-point adult deer three years ago. Oh, my ago, gosh. So I've seen him several times last year. I got hundreds of pictures of him. But I had a camera out there last year. I think I had, this is public land. I think I had 16 Pope and Young bucks on that camera. Oh, wow. Uh, and there's there's no freaking dry land for a mile of this little clump of trees. Man, what a pain I mean, in you're, the you're ass it's got to be to get to. i got to go through my waist <laughs> to get out there. When you go out there in early season, the, the cattails are so high, they're over your head. You can't even see where you're going. And oh, you man. can't go through solid cattails, so you have to go through um 
deer trails. You gotta yeah, I'll follow so the trail. So you can't go in in the morning because you're going in on a trail the deer's gonna come back on. That if you make a trail, the deer start using it. Sure. You know, in some cases, if if there's uh, a lake, river, or something nearby, and sometimes some of the marshes have that, some of them don't. This one don't. But then you can take a canoe or a kayak back there and come in from the back way, and then you can come in in the morning. But uh, when well, you got to um, think about the deer wind. seem to know them. Too. I mean, right, you got to think about where they're bedding and stuff. Even in even in them cattails, there's certain spots they bed. And you should see. I mean, you, you go out there in uh, winter. I went out there this year. I found two sheds out in that water, out in wow. the cattails, and and thousands and thousands and thousands of deer beds that were matted down, used multiple times. They still need some dry land. Like they're not bedding in water. Well, it's not dry, dry, but it's dry enough to lay on. Sure. And everything out there is floating. So you walk on it, it's like a water bed, but it's yeah. dry enough that deer can lay on it and not get wet. Just a big Because they can't lay in water. Right. Yeah, nobody would like that. That yeah, sounds it's, terrible. It's interesting now. You know, what most people think is that deer live in the woods, and they don't. Deer are not woods creatures. They're edge creatures. They like brush. So they like thick, like brushy areas. Right. You know, they don't like um, solid timber. And everybody thinks that deer are like bedding in the middle of a block of woods. You know, they're not. They're at the openings, the edges. Yeah, for sure. So you can literally you can take a you can take a big public land, and you can just cross off all the big solid woods, and just look at the edges. Well, and for one, on the public land, that's like where a lot of people are going. So scratch it off there. No, no, this is this is <laughs> if you're talking swamp or flatland. Right. Yeah. If you get into hilly land, it's a little different. So. Yeah, I was, I'll I want to get into that, uh, but I want to stay on this kind of marsh theory oh. first. Um, kind of, you know, vet this one out as far as a, a strategy is. So you've got your your scouting in. You're look you're you're glassing, and so do you. You're picking out different spots, um, and then like for the wind, or what's your determining factor of like when you go into a certain area. You know, like you mentioned earlier, like well, oh, I know where he's betting. I know when he's going to move. I know when he's using this this spot and when like, you, you got it. You got to be a bit of a detective. Um, I don't know. It sounds kind of cliche, but it's true. No. I mean, like when I go in, when I, let's just take, when I go into a bed in the, in the winter time and I, I started looking at the bedding areas. So I'm looking at the beds, I'm looking at the trails coming out and I want to get as close as possible to that, to that series of beds. Cause it's not going to be one bed. It's going to be a group of beds, like a bedding area. Usually, um, not all, but most big bucks bed in an area that has probably 15, 20 different beds in it in a small, tight area. Um, there are, you know, solitary beds, but they're not as, as common and not as commonly used. But uh, I'll get into those beds and I'll, I'll take the exit trails to come out of there. And I will, from the bed, I'm going to look and I'm going to say, oh, okay, how far can you see? And what can he smell from here? What you know? What winds would I need? Blah blah blah. And I'm going to pick some trees that are just beyond as far as I can see from that bed. And that's where I'm going to set up. And a lot of times I'm shooting these deer where I see them get out of the bed, and I shoot them at my tree at closing time. If I was 200 yards from that bed, I wouldn't have a chance in hell. Right. They're getting up right so, at the last couple minutes of light. Right. But so from that bed, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, okay, why is he bedded here? You know, look at the thickness. 
is it wide open when you're looking at it in the winter? Well, that means just, you know, when there's cover there is when he's bedding there. You know, if it's your okay. cover there in the winter, well, okay, now he could be bedding there at different times. Now, where's this trail going? Is it going towards food? Is it head over to some uh, cornfields? Is it head over to an oak, and, oak flat? Um, is it a really secure remote area? Does it look like he's been here all year? What do the rubs look like? Does it look like there's rubs in early season and in rut? Or does it look like they're just early season? Does it look like there's rub ruts? Does, is there no rubs? Like he wasn't there any time during, you know, antler rubbing time? You know, um, all those things come into play, and you start to think, well, what time is he here? Now, that's uh, easier said than done, and the longer you do it, the more you get good at that. But, but for a lot of people, they're going to struggle with that one. Yeah, that makes and sense. And I do not want to over, over hunt these spots. So what I do is if I, if I don't know or I don't want to take a guess at it, I throw three sits at a spot. So I'll sit it once early season, I'll sit it once rut, and I'll sit it one, once late season, and I'll see what happens. And uh, I won't give a spot more than three sits in a year, personally, because I think you start to burn it out. Uh, but then when I'm there, maybe I don't see a deer, any one of those three sets, but I'll certainly from what I see when I go in there to hunt, I'll have a better grasp on how fresh the sign is when I'm there. Sure. Um, and that's how I go about it. And, and a lot of guys, what they're going to do is they're going to go out and they're going to find like a killer bed in there when they first start doing this. They're going to be like, Oh, I got a maid. You know, they're going to go find a setup and they're going to be like, rubble line comes right out of here to here. And, I'm going to kill them out of that tree and this is perfect. And they're going to sit there and nothing comes up. And the truth of the matter is, is that you need a lot of those type of spots that look really good in order to have consistent success. Um, you know, you know, I look at the, um, I got a marsh, uh, near my home that I hunt quite a bit that, uh, I probably know, well, I know every inch of it, but I probably know of, uh, let's say, a hundred buck bedding areas out there. Um, every mature buck I've ever seen or shot out of there came out of, uh, I think, probably six of them. Hmm. So mature bucks are going to get the best bedding areas. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So I mean, and, and put it. Let's put this perspective. That swamp. There's one bedding area that I've shot um, between me and a couple of close friends, 14 bucks out of. Oh my god! And there's another one that I've shot that we sh- that I shot uh, eight bucks out of uh, eight years in a row, uh, opening day of gun season. Wow! Um, when they come out of yeah, so uh, it takes some time to build that up, and it takes some time to build up a, um, a resume of good spots. And sometimes spots look awesome and just never pan out for whatever reason. Sometimes they look awesome and they are, and sometimes they look like crap and they turn out to be awesome. Um, one bedding area I, I have on a small piece of private, the only private piece I have, um, it's 70 acres. Every time a big buck is shot on that property, it comes out of the same bedding area. And that, um, that bedding area... Um, there hasn't been a rub line in there or rubs in the bedding area in, uh, probably the last five years until last year. Um, but then previous to five years ago, there were some. Why do you think that is? You can tell, 
I know why it is. It's because prior to five years ago, there were a lot of big bucks around there. And then now last year, we saw an extra large number of bucks more than usual in there. And when bucks rub in bedding areas, it's because they're in competition oh, okay. for the beds. They're communicating with the other so, bucks in the area. Right. So my point is, is if a guy's hunting an area and a lot of public areas are like this, where there's only one good buck in there, he might or might not be leaving rubs in his bedding area. You might have a bedding oh, area that I doesn't have you. any rubs in it. The biggest buck I ever shot, I watched him bed in the same bed um, for a couple of years in a row every time there was a west wind. I couldn't get near him because it was all open terrain. I did end up finally shooting him by crawling up to him with a 12-gauge bungee to my back during gun season <laughs> uh, in the grass. <laughs> but uh, that buck, he bedded there all the time, and the year before I shot him, I picked up one of his sheds out of that same bed. Oh, wow. And there wasn't a rub within 100 yards of that uh, that bed. There wasn't a scrape within 100 yards of that bed. He's just in there living living the, the bachelor life. Just right. But alone. the terrain would tell you, if you know how, how they bed, that, that, that a buck should be there. It's very interesting. See, the, the, the thing is, though, I mean, that was the only big buck around. Right. Yeah, it's a no competition. No There's no competition. A little one stay in the other bed areas. So now you get a you get a group of two year olds. They'll rip up a bed area with some pretty good rubs. So your amateur guy might be going to the bed area that's got all these two year olds, and and uh, it might not be the spot to be. So is that something when you're out scouting and you you see a really good bedding area with no rubs? Are you then kind of going? this might be a really big deer or is it uh, kind of a crapshoot it's a crapshoot yeah okay. um you, you gotta you gotta look at it and, and be able to you, you know you gotta get into it a little deeper than that you, you know uh it, it's hard to say because like let, let's put it like this i remember the uh first time i went and hunted iowa i went to a place was all open terrain the bedding areas in uh, in Iowa were in in that spot of Iowa were in like brush piles that wouldn't hold a jackrabbit here. I mean, they wouldn't hold hold a squirrel here, you know. But that's all they had, right? You, you know what I'm saying? So every every spot, the best bedding that there is, what's where the buck's going to end up. So you got to be able to um, look at it and, and kind of get a grasp for what the best bedding is on the property. And the, and the thing is like, um, if you walk all those transition edges, you walk through his bedding. So you, it's just a matter of you being able to recognize it. Sure. If the buck, if the buck lives there, um, one of the hardest parts is guys hunt the same properties over and over again. And public land don't always hold big bucks. Like I, I throw out a wide net and I go to spots where, uh, I either know have big bucks or I go and find big bucks. I'll go through a property and I'll look at it. And if there's no big rubs around the crop fields and stuff, there's no big bucks there. Where are you putting your trail cameras so that you're, you know. I put my trail trail cameras. I have two different ways that I put trail cameras out. The, um, the trail cameras I put out that are normal, just like trail cameras that work on a, a battery in a card, I put on food sources and I put on trails and funnels. Uh, away from bedding. Um, but I, 
I also get a hold of um, cell cams, okay. which email me the pictures. Yep. And I don't have to go near them. And I put in some good batteries and stuff. And I go out and I like to go out before it rains and put them closer to the bedding. I still won't put them in a bedding area because deer freak out if you put the camera right in the, over the beds. I put it on the exit trail and I try to put it higher in a tree, aim it down. And um, it'll spook them for a little bit. But if it just sits there and emails you the pictures and you don't have to go there and, and check it, uh, you can you can really get good at uh, figuring out when those bucks are there. Yeah, Even if you don't I kill bet. the buck, you get a routine of what time frame they're there. Because what I'm finding is uh, a lot of these bedding areas, they have a peak week or two. So you might have a bedding area that's really good in September. But the rest of the year is kind of crap. You might have one that right before rut it's really good because they bed there when they're chasing does that are just bedded over a ways. Um, you might have one that's uh, really good in you know, mid-October for, you know, when they're bedding near a cornfield or, or for whatever reason. Um, maybe some of them, they don't have good cover in the, in, at the end of the year, you know, but you'll see that there's like um, uh, periods, like you'll have like a week or two period when that bedding area will peak, and that'll be just about every year it'll do the same exact thing and the same exact timing. So if you can have a camera in a spot like that where it's there for a year, Without going into the bedding, because they really freak out on that. Uh, trust me, I've tried it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but outside, on the trails, coming out of the bedding, uh, you can really get a good grasp for, you know, the time frame on that bedding for the future. So, I mean, most guys are, are like, oh, this doesn't help me, because what about this year? But really, you've got to build your way up to there. You know what I mean? you got to... Right. It, it, this isn't an overnight process. It's a, it, it, it takes years to really get um, good in this process where you're killing big bucks every year. And I, and to that point, you know, and I know I'm trying to jump in like this season if somebody listens to this and they, they're getting all fired up like what they should do. But really it's, you know, if you're going to have consistent success in public land, it, it starts, you know, probably – after the season, right after the season ends, that's when you're starting to do your right. off-season scouting, mm-hmm. and and uh, and at that point you're going yeah. right into the spots and looking, right? I, I assume. Right, and and, and you know, because if you bump the up then, it doesn't is, really matter. Is really, you you take the hunting that you've been doing up till now. It's not like you just have to abandon everything you've been doing and, and jump in 100 percent or something. You can always advance a little at a time, or you can use part of it and not all of it. And then put more into it the next year and, and really next year after the season, really get the scouting in and, you know, and then go into it a little harder. Yeah. There's a spot close to my house here that it's the same spot that we hunted. And, uh, I didn't do any off season scouting. I didn't go in the winter. I didn't, I didn't do anything like that. Um, but I'm fairly confident that they're, they're betting there. And there's a couple Oak islands out there, um, depending on, you know, what that, acorn crop is like but there's a decent spot um relatively close to the road where you can do some good glassing and i think i'm gonna you know mm-hmm. when i get some nights which those are <laughs> free evenings are hard to find these days but start going out there and and glassing and just see what i see yeah um, yeah i do a lot of that and that's how i've located a lot of the bucks i want to go after you know the big, the biggest buck I uh, I shot with my bow. Well, arguably I got two that are about the same size that 
I didn't consider them both my biggest, <laughs> but one of them I, uh, I found, um, a mile and a half from, from a road across the river. I was walking ridges with a pair of binoculars in the evening, just watching, you know, in late summer, found this buck coming out of an oxbow and watched him from a ridge and came back a couple of evenings later, saw him out of that oxbow again, watched him go over, even though it was, uh, it was August he went over and worked a scrape and several other bucks that came out of the adjoining oxbow worked that scrape too. And, uh, on opening day, I went in there at about uh, 11 o'clock or noon, uh, right after it stopped raining and shot him at one o'clock in the afternoon. He came out of the exact same bedding, I but I found him because I was out, out glassing, out, out looking, sure. you know, and, uh, I'll go sit observation stands where I can see a long ways with, with a good pair of optics. And that's exactly what you're talking about doing. Right. Yep. And you throw the cameras out there, do what you can. I mean, a lot of these swamps, one of the best tactics you can do is drive around the perimeter. And when there's nasty water edge right up to the road and there's crops on the other side, you know, walk down the road, walk your dog or something. Don't look like a hunter walk down the road, you know, maybe you walk on a dog, maybe you're dressed like a jogger and just look <laughs> at the trails that are coming out. Look at the tracks that are coming out. And if you're coming over and going into those crops, take a camera, put it on a pole, stick it in there and see what's going on. Sure. You can get away with a little bit along those roads as long as you can hide it from the traffic, you know, as long as you're not getting your scent too far off of that road. Well, and I was going to bring up that too, if you had any tips as far as like not getting your cameras stolen on public land. Ah, you got to be used to losing a few. <laughs> just people, people suck. That's yeah, just all there is to it. The ponds, you just gotta you know, throw, throw, actually, I haven't throw lost a broke one down, in years, and I put a lot of them out there. That doesn't work. <laughs> but That's an I haven't spot. lost one in years, but I, I oh, I have. I, I lost one uh, bear hunting a couple of years ago, um, two of them in a row. Um, but that was because hound hunters find your your bait and their dogs are on it, and they don't want you to know they were there, so they take your camera. Oh, nice. But, uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, I find cameras every year. I, I run into dozens of them. I would never take somebody's camera, but I always smile and wave at them. Yeah, I do the same thing. I mean, but, like, I'll do even, like, uh, you know, I'll do some mushroom foraging and stuff like that, and we're just walking through the woods, and I'll see someone's camera. It's, it never dawns on me to take it. Like, never. Like, it's not mine. <laughs> you know, I just wish more when, people uh, were like that. But When me and Joe did that hunt in uh, Minnesota, we, were, we packed out his buck, and as we were going in the first island, we got to in the marsh where we had to go to there and then disperse to all the other islands. We walk up in there and there's a trail camera right there and you can't avoid it. All right. Well, we, then when we left, we didn't even think about it. Well, it captured Joe with the, the big rack attached to his back <laughs> as we're walking out. And, uh, all of a sudden that picture showed up all over the internet. <laughs> I didn't recognize who we were. <laughs> oh man. He's probably hunting that buck. That's too bad. I don't think people steal your cameras because because they're thieves. I think it, I think it's a jealousy thing. They don't want you to get onto the deer they're hunting or something like that. Yeah, that could um, be. I think those those same people you you probably drop a hundred dollar bill next to me and hand it back to you. But people just get stupid over deer. So that was a that was an event where obviously you didn't uh, have any, you know, off season scouting. You went in pretty much blind. Uh, like how much we really time? We didn't even know where we were going until a week before we went. Okay. 
I was gonna say how I was gonna ask you how much time you had to prepare. So about a week. Um, to look it, might, at. it might have been more than that. Maybe maybe it was uh, maybe it was a month. But okay. uh, I mean, they they tell us we're going in um, uh, a general area. And what they gave me was they gave me a rule and they said uh, you can go anywhere in the state, but you have to be back to the campground by dark, or, or not by dark, but after your hunt. Sometime you have to get back. You have to camp there. Okay. So um, we started out hunting around camp, and we couldn't find the deer we wanted. And I felt that they'd be in a, you know, they'd be in acorns at that time. And where we were camping was all hilly, um, you know, south of where uh, Twin Cities. Uh huh. Um, it was all hilly stuff, and uh, the deer just get up on those points and, and eat the acorns right out of their beds. And I just felt it was just really hard to hunt them that way. So um, I started looking around on uh, maps and stuff, and we found a very large marsh. And we had we had some tips from people, some friends that, hey, man, there's some, I'm like, where's, where's some marshes that have islands that have oak trees on them? And somebody pointed out some very large marshes, you, you know, up by the Twin Cities up north of there, where, like you're saying. Yeah. And uh, we went in there and uh, mapped out some islands and right away got into action. Huh. And then uh, just... We figured out that there was a big buck in one little section. We knew he had to be on one of these, one of these like six islands, and we hunted down those islands. When we got down to the last one, we kind of knew he was going to be out there. It was Joe's turn. He went out there and he shot it. Huh? It was pretty much that simple. Well, I mean, so how did you know that there was a big buck out there? What was the just by the sign, like the size of the bed? Yeah, there or... was uh, there was big tracks and rubs coming out of there. Okay. And rub lines coming through the islands. Um, scrapes had really huge tracks in them. So like like hunting, how how would you hunt or go about setting up on a rub line? Like I, I see them when I'm in the woods, and mm-hmm. a lot of times I'm finding these rub lines, but they don't even seem like they're anywhere near a bedding area, you know. So it's like, how do you right. start to narrow so, that down? So if you you hunt over the top of a rub line or a scrape, just a random one because it looks big and has big tracks, you're gonna have the same success as everybody else because right. everybody does. Um, look at it like this, and, and this is really the, what should what should really drive you. Is deer are nocturnal, especially mature bucks. They're very nocturnal, um, especially during hunting season. I mean, they out a little more during the summer, but during hunting season, um, they are out probably five percent of the time. So ninety five percent of the time it's dark out when they're when they're out doing their thing. And the five percent of the time that they they're out in daylight, they're a little nervous because they either just got up or they're just going to bed, right? right? So when do you think the majority of that sign is put down? Yeah, it's all at night. Middle of the night. Right, yeah. So so you could be a mile from his bedding area and seeing giant rubs. So to me, all a, a huge rub does is tell me, okay, somebody's in the area. Then I'm going to go back to, okay, where would he be bedding right now? Or when I find bedding, you know, like, okay, these islands go in the dead end of lake, the spot in Minnesota, that buck's coming from that direction. He's on one of those islands. Sure. So then I start mapping out those islands. Okay. I, I can tell you with confidence, me and Joe both looked at him and said, he's going to be at that island right there. But you don't go to that island without hunting the rest of them or your boot. If you're wrong, you yeah. screwed up the entire thing. Sure. So we had to hunt our way in to get back there. But when we got there, that's where he was. 
And there was a, a little brushy island off to the side. We we're like, well, that one's got the cover. It's got a little point off it. He's going to be bedded on that one. He got up right where we thought he'd be based on a map, circled right around the Joe and shot him. I don't think he came in exactly how I thought he would. I thought he'd come straight point A to point B and he kind of circled, but if I remember correctly. But, uh, and is he going in on, uh, you know, from, you know, you're kind of dictated by the topography, but also by wind. So were you picking your time like when you went in? And this is, I assume this, you only had so many days to get this done. Well, the good thing about swamping is they bed there no matter what the wind is. Right. So, I mean, we pretty much had the wind in our favor the whole time. Oh, okay. It's just how it kind I mean, of worked it, out. You might not, you might, you, it might have depended what tree we set up in. We could set up on each island based on the wind, based on how it worked out. I mean, and a lot of times I go into an island where a lot of these swamp islands, the bedding will be to the predominant downwind side. There'll be a narrowing point that's thick, and most of the time the wind's blowing down there. Well, if you live near there, you can wait till the wind's off, you know. Right. But uh, when you don't and you, you have a short period of time to hunt, what I do is I look for a just off wind. So the wind's blowing off to the side. So it's, it rarely is it blowing from the middle of the island to the middle of the bedding. Either leaning a little left or leaning a little right, right? Sure. So it might depend on which side I come in from and which side I set up on. So that my wind blows off over the cattails and just misses them. So okay. he's got the illusion that he's walking into the wind, but I can still kill him. I gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's not it's not so as obvious or black and white as it's a west wind and you come in from the east. Like if it's a west wind, it's got a little bit of north to it. You can come in from the west. You just gotta right keep that. In mind I think I think when guys along that sea. when guys rotate through stands and they say they got the, a piece of property got twenty stands on. That's how a lot of people hunt. They're like, oh, that's the west wind. This is the very east wind, and they get in that mindset. Yeah. I, I mean, generally, if you're going in mobile and you're setting your stand up when you hunt, it's it's pretty easy to say, well. If I lean this way, my wind will be over to cattails. If I went over here, it'll be over those. You know, uh, it's a little easier to set up on a deer basin. I mean, sometimes you got to go way out of your way to go into a spot you could have came in easier from the other side and set up on the other side, but your wind would have been blowing right yeah, in there. Right? The wind was terrible, right? So yeah, so I mean, sometimes it makes it hell to set up. But when I leave, I don't worry about that. I just leave the way I want to leave. Are you wearing waders when you go through these swamps, or are you just getting wet? Ah. Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, this year I got sponsored by Tide Wee, or last year, and started using all their waders and stuff. Okay. I'm starting to like that. It's a lot better than getting soaked. But <laughs> <laughs> I, used to, I used to just get wet. They, they, yeah. <laughs> well, early season, they're, they're hot. You're going to probably still be wet just yeah, from sweat. Yeah, it's, it's but... also, it gets a little hard to wear them for a mile through water. Yeah. Um, where it's easier to... Um, sometimes just get wet but when it gets colder at later in the year you really just can't get wet or you freeze to death yeah absolutely um, yeah i could see so, it. in I september mean, if it's hot it might actually feel good but yeah in <laughs> late october probably not the greatest idea we actually uh, um when we there's spots where you you can walk with your boots almost the whole way and then there's like a maybe a 20 30 yard section where it goes up to your knees or your waist I mean, there's nobody out there, so I'll just strip down literally and put my pants and stuff on top of my tree stand and walk through the crap and then put it back on on the other side. Oh, okay. Um, I know it's, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I, <laughs> I, I literally do that all the time. 
I mean, it's no, a lot easier than carrying waiters that far. I thought about but, carrying uh, a, a, a like a, a spare change of clothes because if I if I really pack in somewhere far, uh, you, especially early season, you get all sweated up. You know, it's like almost kind of mm-hmm. want to just have a spare set of clothes and like a, a big giant Ziploc or whatever, strip down, wipe down with the you know some scent killer wipes or whatever, and then don your actual hunting clothes and then go in, so you're not all yeah, stinky and sweaty, we, but. Me and my uh, my buddies always joke about uh, drilling holes in the bottoms of our boots just to let the water drain out while we're hunting. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the worst idea because <laughs> they're always full of water. <laughs> there you go. Just design. Just, there you go. A million dollar idea. To design some because uh, they make fishing <laughs> shoes like that that have drain holes, purposely drain holes in them. So you know, so you you get wet. They're designed to get wet, and they're designed to drain and dry out. So now you just got to design a, a swamp boot that's that's designed to drain <laughs> and dry once you get to the stand walking through the walking through the swamp. So what's, so we've kind of covered swamps. So how do you, what's different and what's the same about how you go about hunting like a hardwoods area where those hills and there's ridges and, you know, I, well, I, I mean, there's two kinds of hardwoods, flat and, and hilly. Um, hilly, you're looking at the leeward sides. It gets, it gets pretty easy to map them out. Uh, bucks tend to bed on leeward ridges. Now, some of your uh, listeners might not know what leeward is. That's the downwind side. So the wind coming from high to low, going over the hill, right? So... Um, they bet on that leeward side with the wind coming over the hill to their back and they look downhill. Um, and that's, that's something you should know if you're looking at betting is that bucks tend to bed pretty much all the time looking downwind. They get smell behind them. They want to see in front of them. That makes sense. You know, um, so if you see a bed that's backed up against something thick and it's open on one side, He's looking to the open. The wind's coming from the back, so he's only bedding there on that wind. That's a really good tip. Makes sense? Yes, absolutely. That makes so, a ton of sense. Now, now, on the ridges, they want to bet on those ridges when the wind is coming over the hill. And what happens is, is there's thermals in hill country. So when the sun comes up, thermals are everywhere, but in hills, they react to those hills. Right. So... Thermals start rising out of these valleys when the sun starts shining on them, right? And when it starts rising, the wind going over the hill will cause a vacuum effect. And instead of rising straight up, they'll pull along the hill and go up into that wind. And there's there's a point where that thermal updraft coming up that hill will meet the wind coming over the hill. And there's a tumbling effect. And I call that the wind tunnel. That's where the beds will be. And there'll also be a trail there that they use during the rut where they cruise. They'll cruise that trail. But the whole year they'll bed in that then in that position. Now what they really like it thick above and open below because they want to see below them and they want that backdrop of protection behind them. Um so a straight ridge doesn't do a lot for them. I mean, sometimes you will find good bedding where there's a uh tree falling down or is a big rock sticking up or something something they can but back most up of the time to. right most of the time the best buck bedding along a ridge is where a point juts out and they'll get on the end of a point or even a knob 
Uh, some of the smaller knobs seem to hold bigger bucks to me, I think, because the points attract people. But uh, when you get on a, a point and you get the wind blowing on that point, right? Now think about how, you, how they bed. They bend to the wind to the back, right, looking downhill. So now what happens if the wind turns a little bit, you know, instead of blowing from, like, straight north down the hill, and it starts to go northwest. Well, they can just go over to the uh, southeast corner, you know, around the bend of the, the point sure. in bed, but still have the wind to the back. And then go around the other side and still have the wind to the back, and it shifts over to the, you know, right. northeast. So those points are where they really like to be. And when you get on those points and you look at the bed, you see them wrapping around the, the tips. I mean, it probably sounds goofy to you right now, but if you actually go out in spring and look at those beds, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. No, it makes now, sense. I can visualize it. The thing is, is when, when you look at them, um, there's, there's two kinds of hills. There's really steep hills uh, and there's rounded hills. Like in western Wisconsin, we have the really steep stuff. But out more, you know, when you get a little more towards me, you start getting more of the rounded stuff. You get a lot more of that rounded stuff you get down south, like Tennessee, Kentucky, and stuff like that. And those rounded hills are a lot harder to read. Because um, in the steeper stuff, there's usually a gradual drop, you know, in, in terrain. Then there's a point where all of a sudden it drops real steep. Right where that point is is where the beds are, and they're pretty locked into that spot. And and the rounded hills, that the the speed of the wind and the heat of the day uh, uh, elevates or lowers that thermal tunnel where the where the two winds mix, and it gets a lot harder to see the beds. All right, that makes sense. So it's a lot harder to find them because, yeah. because they won't be worn into a spot because they'll be shifting them all the time sure. based on the exact wind of the, and they'll move a lot during the day. Where the steeper terrain, it's a lot easier to see and find. How often or how active do deer change their bedding uh, because of the wind? Like if you get a day where the winds are shifting, like actively, or a night, or um, well, I guess it would be day. They're moving constantly. We call those wind shifts. And uh, they move, they they shift uh, continuously based on the wind moving. So they're um, bedded down, they're nice so and they comfy. Might, they might move uh, two or three times in a day or, you okay. know, stand up, eat for a while and make their way over to the next bed. Um, but usually they're not long distances. Usually mature bucks set up in a spot where they don't have to go far and they, they've got the, they've got something they need, you know. Yeah, so. Like uh, in hill country, one of the favored places is a thermal hub. And what I mean by that is you've got a valley. And it's a tight, small valley that's got points coming in from several directions. And you can bet on any one of those three points and, and mon, mean, uh, monitor that whole valley. So all you have to do is shift around a little bit, you know. Do you ever use that to, like, your advantage as far as, like, if you look at the weather forecast kind of hour by hour and see as you see the wind changing, like, when you're going to be there, like, okay, this wind, he's probably going to be here. But I think by this time he'll be over here if the forecast is right. Do you ever hunt like uh, that? I've never had it work. Okay. <laughs> I've tried. I've never had it work. Um, That's I, fair. I did, uh, <laughs> that buck I told you I killed with the, the gun bungee to my back, mm-hmm. that one I, I killed when the wind shifted uh, to east in the middle of the day. It was actually Thanksgiving Day, and I uh, I crawled in there, 
because of that, because you could not get near that bed on a west wind. And I didn't think that deer could could leave that bed in there, and he didn't. He was still there. Because hmm. he just wouldn't, because of the wind, he wouldn't leave? Well, because he would have had to cross terrain. Right. Open terrain yeah. in, in midday. And um, I wouldn't put it past him, but he didn't. Huh. That's there's just so much to soak up. <laughs> like, there's just so much. Like, uh, as far as like, <laughs> like, my brain's going in a it, million you know, it different. Sounds, it sounds difficult, and in a podcast uh, form like this, ah, you probably, it probably is a little bit confusing. But uh, yeah, it's, man, I have a bunch of mental really, images really in my head. Interested? I I, uh, I sell some really intricate DVDs. Not that I'm trying to make a sale. Well, make I'm a sale, whatever. I sell Who cares? Some really. Well, it, it isn't. It isn't that. It's just that I want to help people. Sure. And those DVDs are very intricate, where it lays it out in a format that you can see it really well. And it's three hours of solid information, you know. And I do each train in a separate DVD. Are you? You're so you do so, both gun and bow every year. Different yeah, I states. Do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Just whatever, whatever season it is. Yeah, gun hunting. I hunt a little different. Uh, I used to be really hardcore with it. And uh, recently, it's gotten more about the tradition and the friends and, and stuff like that. Sure. But I, yeah, there is definitely something to be said about the, the deer camp. You know, it's just fun. Yeah, yeah. Whether you're successful right. or not. And, and you know what? Uh, when you when you got uh, four dozen bucks in the wall, I think you you kind of like to see your friends succeed sometimes. Yeah, you know? absolutely. No, I get that for sure. The young kid in the group. I mean, it, it's exciting. I mean. Like uh, like yourself, you shot that that buck uh, last year. I mean, uh, that excitement you got out of that. I love to see that in a in a new hunter or a young guy or or a guy that's only got five or six bucks down and only gets out during gun season. You know, um, yeah, just different absolutely. animals start getting age on you. You know, how many different states do you uh, hunt in a year? Uh usually a couple. Um, also, oh, not too crazy. Not... I mainly. No, not too crazy. I mainly concentrate on Wisconsin. But when I take out, I go out of state. Um, but now with the hunting challenge every year, we go to another state, wherever they send us. Um, and that's once a year. I mean, this year I, I um, so I'm go to. Who runs that hunting challenge? More. Oh, that's the hunting public. Okay, that is the hunting public. Mm-hmm. That stuff's pretty cool. Well, I'm hoping I can get out. Um, my schedule's already filling up for fall, so I don't know how much deer hunting of the pie chart I'm going to get to uh, to <laughs> do. But I do want to scout this spot out next that's relatively close to me, um, at least glass it. I think if I go and I glass it and I see something good, I'll probably cut a bigger pie, uh, slice of uh, thyme pie out. <laughs> and if I don't see anything, then I'm like, ah, eh, well, uh, I tried. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, you can do a lot of damage during the season, too. I mean, uh, a lot of times you can learn a lot on a walk. You know, um, it might sound strange, but um, I rarely hunt from point A to point B. I mean, guys, they park their truck on a, on a, in a parking lot, and they walk the dirt road to a certain area, and then they take a trail to their stand, and they hunt. I don't do that. If I have a destination I'm going to, there's probably a 50-50 chance I'll make it there. I usually plot out a a uh, path that'll let me scout some areas as I go, and if I find fresh sign, find something big, I just sit on it. And um, 
I've done fairly well just hunting, um, you know, fresh sign or, or spot checking spots that I'm not really sure of. You know, like you know of a bedding area, but you know, most of the time you don't get one there. You walk past her and just see, is there hot sign coming out of it right now? Is there some fresh rubs there? Maybe there, you know, is it pummeled underneath the, an oak tree that's there? Um, and a lot of times I don't even make it to where I'm going. You can do really well just putting a stand on your back, grabbing your bow, and walking a transition line and just walking back a little bit so you can see if there's any, uh, you know, sign coming out of that swamp because remember they're on edges. Right. So if you set up along that edge, there's a pretty good chance you're going you're gonna to get a crack at them. I mean, now, too, you can find a really heavy trail coming out of that swamp with some rubs on it and set up and see nothing because you come through there later. But if you take a look at your phone while you're out there and you have Onyx and you zoom in, you can look at the trail going out of there and say, oh, okay, well, there's a, that trail just keeps going and there's an island like, you know, a half mile out into that swamp that it goes to. But there's some trees, you know, out near that island I could get into. You know, I mean, it takes more than, you know, you got to have a little common sense. Right. Well, you know, don't just stop there and set up without looking at your phone and seeing what's going on or, you know. Yeah, trying to piece all the uh, puzzle pieces together and see if it makes sense. Well, then there's some some of them other spots um, that I've heard about. I haven't hunted them, but where it's people walk past them, like they're close to the parking spot of this public area. You know, what makes mm-hmm. you hunt oh, those yeah. kind of spots? Like what jumps out at you? Like how do you I know you find you, uh, one of those spots? A lot of my a lot of my biggest bucks came from right alongside the roads, right next to parking lots. Um. What I look for is wet, nasty areas that got the habitat a deer needs, but they're smaller, and they're right alongside the road in between parking lots. Because deer really, um, they know pressure because they smell where you've been. I mean, when you walk someplace, I think they can smell you for like 10 days, maybe even longer. So if you if you look at a, a swamp, I mean, where does everybody go? Some guys go in a little ways, some guys go in a long ways. Some guys go in uh, 400 yards, start spreading out to the sides. Some guys go way in and go out to the sides. But nobody goes and parks in a parking lot, walks down the road 100 yards and hunts 50 yards in. People just don't hunt like that. They don't think like that. And if there's a pocket of good terrain there, a lot of times um, that's the spot where that buck doesn't get pestered. And really, if you think about it, a lot of these uh, swamps and marshes, Inside those swamps and marshes, you got a square surrounded by roads or a circle surrounded by roads. Sure. That's that's public because it's all wet. But you go across the road and it's all crops and stuff, right? So if those deer want to be near the crops, where are they going to be? Along the roads, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you got a spot along the road where nobody's hunting and it's got the terrain that it needs and the food's right across the road, does it get too... Uh, too hard from there and i i kind of allude to that earlier when i I was telling you how you could just kind of go alongside the road when you're walking walk your dog or whatever yeah and uh you know uh one of my very biggest bucks um i glassed him from a public land parking lot that gets used all the time it's always got four or five cars in it he was right next to the parking lot in the evening every evening and there's another 10 pointer with him that was like 140s And he was, and he was in the uh, mid one sixties. Um, and these uh, deer would be there every evening while everybody's out hunting. And I, I literally, uh, 
uh, I shot him within a stone's throw from the parking lot. Wow. I mean, it makes sense, but it also seems counterintuitive. You know, he's just like, get away from the pressure, get away from all the people's snow. But yeah, that's one of the, that, that's, <laughs> and, like, that's and, kind and of a leap of faith. You are. It's just that you, <laughs> it's how far away from the pressure you're getting. You got to right. go where people don't go, basically. Yeah. Like when you're scouting, scout, uh, pay attention to the people traffic. Kind of correct. Steer the deer traffic, people, right? Yeah, like I said, it it it, it seems simple in concept, but yet, like, I, like even now, my brain's like fighting it. Like, oh, you don't want to hunt close to your car. You know, it's like <laughs> we call it. We got a term for it. We call it uh, hunting the fat chick. We call them <laughs> fat chick spots. And the reason we do that is because. It's, it's like in high school. I mean, fat chicks that don't get dates much, they're really happy to be with you and they're oh, fun to man. be around. You just don't want your friends to see you this, right? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want your friend to see you hunting 100 yards from the road, but sometimes uh, that's a place where you got to be if you if you want action, right? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that is hilarious. Are you a saddle guy? Uh, no. You're not? Okay. Um any main reason for so that? As a matter of fact, or? if you haven't been keeping keeping up, uh, we're about to release our uh, our, our tree stand. Oh, really? Um, we have we have I have I'm climbing listening. sticks released. Um, the tree stand's going to be releasing within a week or two. Okay. Uh, we're just trying to wrap up some last minute things, um, but we uh, I in, I invented a process of. Uh, Taking material out of uh, extruded plate to make stands real light, and uh, I've got a patent pending on it. Um, uh, so we can take like I don't know if you're familiar with like the lone wolf type tree stand. Yep. We can take a stand like that and make it, you know, a fraction of the weight. Mm. Um, so we're about to release that. and uh, I don't want to say too much about it because we're going to say more on the release. We've got. Uh, one company we were going to team up with that, uh, and unfortunately started copying everything we're doing. So we're really well, hoping our patent goes through. That is kind but, of a risk. <laughs> but yeah, no. Yeah. But I mean, there's always, there's always shitty people out there. Oh, That's just the absolutely. way things are. Yep. And, and you know, we kind of expected that. Um, I didn't expect it to come from the direction it came from, but sure. But, uh, I'm really excited about it because we're making a mobile system. I mean, uh, we got sticks that attach to the stand that are real small, lightweight. I mean, um, the whole thing will, you know, be just a few, few pounds. I mean, the stand's going to be like six pounds. The sticks are like two pounds each. Um, so you, real lightweight, so you can get mobile. Everything attaches real quiet together. Nice. You know, so that's uh, that's a game changer for us. We've always used uh, uh, lone wolf stands. Uh, I'm a friend of the donor, lone uh weavers um you know we've always used those stands and uh they're just a little heavy a little big so you know um we're going to mobile direction yeah because i've thought about you know um not like too serious but as far as like you know the regular climb on or hang on stands versus a saddle which i've never used but the lightweight nature of a saddle when you're doing these hiking through a swamp you know kind of is somewhat appealing but yeah you're coming out with the you know a good, comfortable, super lightweight stand. I'm, I'm all ears. <laughs> so I'll be, yeah, looking, I, you know, I'll be looking for that. I like the saddles, but uh, they're just not for me. I, I I don't like that strap in front of my face. 
trying to get a bow over it, if I got to shoot to my uh, right or left, I don't like. I, I'm real fidgety if I'm if I'm hanging there. I sure. can sit on a stand real quiet and and still. Um, but uh, it's just I don't like having a tree in my way. I like putting my back up against the tree and facing the deer. So for me, I mean, it's just maybe it's because I've always hunted out of a stand, but that's the way I like to go. Sure. Yeah. And well. uh, if you can do it lightweight and get. Uh, you know, get and out there with, uh, right, and it's, quiet. Yeah, those old, those old stands is metal on metal. They were loud as can be. <laughs> and walking right, through the right. woods, clang, you know, clang, clang. You know, back in the uh, uh, 80s, I was hunting with uh, stands back then, mobile, um, when people didn't even know what mobile was. I mean, most people made stands out of two-by-fours still back then. Right, yeah. But I, uh, uh, I had a big metal, <laughs> you know, welded great tree stand with a chain. And that's what you had to, to, to use back in those days. Right. Like, literally, I put holes over the chain. I put uh, duct tape on it all over the place <laughs> to quiet down things and, and use that mobile. And then yeah. use screw steps with uh, electrical tape all over them so they wouldn't clang in your pocket. You know? Yep. We've come a long ways. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we have. And it's a good thing. It's kind of surprising it's taken this long. You know? I mean, yeah. And I remember in high school, I mean, I. I'm kind of an adult onset hunter. You know, I, nobody in my family hunted. Um, I had some uncles on my mom's side, but we just didn't really hang out with them for whatever reason. So just never really was exposed to it. But kind of like what you said earlier, I, I always wanted to do it. Like, it was always in me to do it. And it was about high school where I'm like, heck, I'm just going to take this up. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> um, yeah, just like I said, you got those tree pegs, those screw pegs in your pocket, and they're clang, 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 and you know, I have my hand on it trying to quiet them down. Never once down to me like, hey, dummy, why don't you wrap those in tape? <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't try to solve the problem. I just dealt with it because, you know, I just naive. Just didn't know. I mean, basically, just didn't yeah, know. And, uh, and uh, there was there was literally nothing out there to learn from. Um, magazines were like uh, Outdoor Life and Field and Stream, and and you're lucky if they had one deer article. They might have right. a deer article, a pronghorn article, a bear article, a crappie fishing article. You and know, even and even those like articles are, are magazines. They're very vague. You know, they're always broad, right? Really right. broad, right. all encompassing. Like, yeah, they weren't. Uh, I remember finding an old magazine minutia. in my, uh, I, f- I found an old magazine in one of my brother's rooms one time and I opened it up and this is when I was a kid and there was this, uh, breaking news article in there about bull hunters were, were starting to hunt out of trees and was that legal or should it be legal or should, <laughs> was it was ethical. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, saying it might not be fair to the deer to bow hunt out of a tree. Right. Right. That's right, and, and the dangers of it and stuff like that. Isn't that interesting? That's crazy. No matter what, like, that's just interesting. Anything new that comes along in the outdoor industry, it's almost always met with resistance and speculation. Oh, right, which, yeah. Which Absolutely. might be good. But, I mean, you, you, know, go, you go, like, uh, 20 years from now and everybody will be using the crossbow. Yeah, I won't be. Yeah, and then they'll be, unless and they'll I have be, to, unless uh, my shoulders are shot. new air gun or something yeah right, right, right. <laughs> everything that comes out will uh you, you, you know you know it's, it's funny because if you look at that it's really uh um an ego thing i mean well that guy's gonna do better than me what do i care what anybody else does yeah i really don't care you, you know if you shoot a big buck more power to you if right. you use a certain weapon well that's your choice i don't care 
Yeah, I you, really you know, don't care. Um, as a matter of fact, if everybody else uses a crossbow, I would feel better about myself using uh, a compound. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I look at the guys that use a, a, a recurve, and I think, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, you it know? is. That you, that you take it to that level. Well, you, you know, but to each their own. Who knows? In 20 years, the way things are going, we might be all th- be throwing atlatls again. <laughs> Right, right, who knows? Right. Who knows? It'll be Hunger Games all over again. Oh man, it's crazy. Yeah, it's starting, crazy to, it's starting to look crazy in this world. Yeah, yeah. Who, who knows? Fall. I'll tell you what. Between the heat, the bugs, everything else, fall can't get here soon enough, in my opinion. I'm ready for it. I've had my fill of summer already. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm ready for it. I mean, I'm not really ready for it technically, but mentally. I'm ready for it. I got a lot of work to a lot of work to do to get ready for it for sure. Like I've severely been slacking on uh sending some arrows downrange, so I saw my target today actually when I was out mowing lawn. I'm like, yeah, I need to I need to start putting that in my daily routine again, getting rushed up. Well, I'll give you I'll give you a little warning. When I was a kid I loved duck hunting, I loved rabbit hunting, I loved squirrel hunting, I loved fishing. Uh, I don't do any of that anymore because all they do is chase deer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to be – well, I guess I shouldn't say that. I mean, just the idea of that kind of public land hunting really did get me excited, and I did want to uh, spend well, more ever, time doing it. If you ever uh, find a buck and you're hunting that buck and you take a good guess at where you think he's bedded and you set up and you watch that thing rise out of his bed and walk to you and you kill it and it's a monster. <laughs> You'll never look back. I mean, yeah, the thrill of that is, yeah. is, is a personal uh, a personal accomplishment that makes you really feel good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure uh, that would be that would be pretty amazing. Especially when you do it on a on a totally equal playing field that anybody else in oh, the whole yeah. country or world could go out there and, and and hunt right beside you. They could have went there and did the same thing and set up in the same tree. And you think about it. And when I'm shooting these deer out of those those bedding areas, I'm taking one deer. In like a three thousand acre or a marsh, I'm figuring out where he lives, and I'm picking the right day, the right time, and the right wind to be in the right tree. And really, if you're if you're shooting them, you know, seventy five yards from the bed, and it's closing time. If you weren't in that tree, in that entire swamp, you wouldn't have killed that deer. Yeah, no, that's it's, a, it's more of an accomplishment than what people think. Oh, absolutely, no that that's definitely the appealing part. Like, you know, even putting all these these tactics that we've talked about and applying them to private land, you know. If you got private land, obviously, why wouldn't you hunt it? I mean, why would you right. go through the the headache of public land? But for somebody like me that just has a small plot of land, um, like that, well, the biggest deal is, is your land is going to be better if you hunted less, right? <laughs> so now you True. can you can have your land set up. I mean, listen to what I'm saying. I'm saying if I hunt these spots more than three times, I see them go dead. Where I could shoot a deer in there every year if I just go in like once. Or twice, but if if I go in there like four or five times in a year, it's dead. And how many people right. get a good spot and just keep keep pounding it, right? So now think about your little property. How many times are you hunting that? So now if you if you had that set up and say you get that cell cam, you put it on your property, you don't have to touch that property until that cell cam shows you he's living there in daylight, right? And meanwhile, you could be out pounding all the uh, public, right? And you don't really have to worry about your camera being stolen on your property. At least I'd hope not. Uh- yeah, no, but, I would hope not either. No, they actually don't really. I mean, one year I had uh, 
a little bachelor group of three small bucks take up residence on my property. Usually I get a doe and she raises a, a fawn or two and then they come through it. My land doesn't really get good as far as bucks daytime activity until pre-rut until the, till they really start. The yep. Till they really start moving. And then there's a swamp right across the street from my house um, that they kind of run between that WMA that we talk about and then that private swamp behind me. And so that, like that ridge, they just, I mean, it's like clockwork. There's right up, like where I'm sitting right now, probably through my walls up the hill, I would say 60 yards, there's an oak tree that a scrape forms every single year. And, yeah, of course I have a camera set up on it. <laughs> but it's, it's always at night. I mean, it's almost all buck pictures out at night. I get some daytime pictures um, back where my stand is, but that's, I mean, it's just random. Every now and again, just out of the blue, there'll be a nice deer standing there at 1 p.m., you know, and then you'll never see him again. So it's just kind of kind of weird. Pretty random as far as that, for as far as my little plot of land here goes. But that's the other reason I kind of like that style of hunting kind of fits into like my style of fishing too is just as far as like breaking down a lake, breaking down the cover, you know, looking at those weed patches or those rock reefs, just like we look at these swamps and oak islands and mm-hmm. farm plots and figuring out when those fish are going to be where, when, when that deer is going right. to be where, when, and that, well, like that's, bass fishing, isn't it? that it is. And that's the part that really appeals to me. And I'm down, I'm down for it. So hopefully this year I'm able to do a little bit more of that. I'll definitely take at least one weekend and just make it a point to, you know, I mean, obviously I haven't done the off season mm-hmm. scouting and all that, but I'll do my best, you know, with the, the wind that I have and, and maybe I hunt the spot I've never hunted before. You know, that's, that's a possibility. Yeah, you, too. Just keep, you just keep advancing. And you, you know, um, where I see failure is when a guy jumps in too hard and expects too much. Oh, you I have, you have fun I have and you insanely just, you just low to, expectations. Try to and, <laughs> well, there you go. Then you're starting out right. <laughs> my, my, my dear, my dear, hunting confidence is extremely low. So I, I'm definitely not shooting for the moon. Uh, yeah, it's fun. I, I hunted. Uh, I want to say somewhere around eighty or ninety sits last year. Oh wow! And. Uh, I think I, I, on Pope and Young Bucks, I think I probably had opportunities at about six or seven. Well, off the top of my head. Six or seven so more opportunities. Look at the odds of that. I mean, you have to look, and look, look at my knowledge in this area. Right. And look at the odds when you break them down. Yeah. I mean, so if a guy's hunting 10 times a year, don't expect to do what I'm doing. Right. Well, then yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I don't mean that in a bad way. I no, just no, that's legit. Expect, you know. Absolutely. Well, Dan, give me uh where can people find you? Um, yeah, they can find me on YouTube. We got some really good uh, videos about these tactics that are free. Um, I've got a website um, that's a forum where uh, you join and you have conversations with me and other people like me who all talk about. Uh, hunting tactics and stuff and, and the, uh that's uh thehuntingbeast.com and then we're on facebook um but facebook is facebook i mean it's not as controlled as the website you know right um 
the website's real kid friendly and stuff, but um, Facebook is Facebook. I mean, is it, and it's the hunting beast on YouTube constantly as for well? being mean. Yeah, YouTube is a, is a is a great resource because uh, we've got a lot of great great free videos on there um, that show what we're talking about and, and those, show working. And those DVDs you talked about earlier, the, you can get those on your website. Correct. Okay. You just click on the button that says store. Perfect. You do Instagram at all? Uh, yeah, we have an Instagram. Okay, so there's a gram for all the people that want to. You just uh, do Hunt and Beast, and you'll find it. Right on. And so, where's the big announcement going to come from? Probably everything. Uh, it'll be Facebook. on Facebook. It'll be on my website. Um, uh, we we have uh, huntandbeastgear.com. Hunt and dot com. You can get on there and you can sign up on our mailing list, and we'll. Uh, We'll send you a notification when when the stands are released. Oh, that's probably and, the best uh, way. And you can look at the sticks that are on there, the climbing sticks. That's probably the best. That's probably the best way to do. I'll probably have to log on there tonight and get sign up for that. Cause that that's interesting. I I will definitely be looking forward to that. Well, Dan, I really appreciate you taking some time out and uh, talking deer hunting with me in the stupid heat and humidity. Yeah, it's actually cooled down by me. We had a massive storm. It's been storming the whole time I'm talking to you. Oh, really? Actually went oh, I kind of wish. Yeah, we had, right it, in the it, middle of the conversation, everything went out. It kind of tried to do that today. And I think we in Minnesota here, we did get some storms, depending where you're at. But where I was at, they they looked like they were headed right for us and then fizzled out or went around or whatever. So it's still humid. Mm. It sucks. It's just I'm not built yeah, for this. Yeah, I think it dropped down to like the 60s. It's pretty nice. <laughs> oh, it was in the 90s. Man, I'm so jealous. That that sounds amazing. <laughs> 60. Oh my god, that sounds awesome. Oh, that'd be so awesome. All right, well I'm gonna I'll let you go. I'll cut you loose again. I appreciate it. This has been this has been great. I want to be listening back to this episode a few times myself, even though I was here for it. <laughs> That's a lot of information right. packed in here. So. Cool, man. Well, you post it, send me a link, and I'll share it for you. Absolutely, I'll do that. And uh, uh, let me know when, if I don't see it, let me know when those stands get released, and I'll uh, I'll push that on my end as well. Okay, thanks. Cool, man. Thanks. Well, thanks everybody for listening to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. Man, that was good. I got a lot of information to uh, digest on that. He is just a freaking wealth. Of knowledge, uh, I, I'm I'm confident that we have just scratched the surface on that. So definitely go check him out wherever he is found on Facebook, thehuntingbeast.com. I'll put a link in the show notes here. Uh, you guys can check that out. Um, everybody, do me a favor: rate, review, like. You know this podcast. We're gonna keep growing. Get great guests like Dan and Fault. Um, that's what we're trying to build here. Keep giving you the best content I can possibly get. And that starts with you guys. Like the more you can share this podcast, um, that's like how social networking works, right? It's, it's up to you. I can only do so much on my end and we can really grow this thing, um, into something awesome. So I, I, we're going to get there. I know we will. Uh, so I appreciate all those that have that have helped. I do got some uh, I got some full scale decals. If anybody wants some, let me know. Just uh, sign somebody new up. Um, 
or share it. Send me a screenshot of you sharing it, or I'll see it and uh, send me a message like, "Hey, I shared the blah blah blah." I'll need your address and all that good shit, and then I'll I'll send you I'll send you a decal. I, uh, limited numbers, so get on it. I mean, they won't go they they won't last forever for sure. Uh, yeah, so beardstruggle.com for all my bearded friends out there. Take good care of your beard. These are awesome products. I really, really, really love them. So beardstruggle.com. Use code FULLSCALE15 at checkout. You're going to save yourself some dough. Also check out the Waypoint TV app. You're going to love it. If you like this kind of stuff, deer hunting knowledge, man, that is a wealth of videos and documentaries and movies, hunting, fishing, everything on there. Waypoint TV app. Download it. That thing is awesome. The Full Scale Outdoors Podcast is a proud member of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, which you should subscribe to that wherever you're listening to podcasts because you're going to find a bunch more good hunting titles. And for for anything like me, you just cannot get enough. So check that out. All right, guys. That's all I got for you. This was a good one this week. Man, I want to be listening to this one a few times myself. All right, everybody. Appreciate you signing off. Whatever your passion, pursue that full scale. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinners. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Four in the morning. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.